to hear God's word from this second letter to Timothy. I'd like to read the first 13 verses of 2 Timothy chapter 2 and then to focus on verses 8 through 13. 2 Timothy 2, at verse 1, the word of the Lord. You, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You, therefore, must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. And also, if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer must be first to partake of the crops. Consider what I say, and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. Here's our text. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel, for which I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even to the point of chains. But the word of God is not chained. Therefore I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. This is a faithful saying. For if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. Let's ask for the Lord's blessing on his holy word. O God, our Lord, we are thankful to hear your word a second time in this day. We are thankful, Lord, for the unity we have in the scriptures and in the Christ of the scriptures. And we come as beggars before you tonight, acknowledging, O Lord, that apart from your Spirit, we are blind and we are dull and we are unmoved and we are forgetful. But you are able by your Spirit to write your word upon our hearts and to give us not hearts of stones, but hearts of flesh. O God, come and do your work, we pray. Work in us, we ask it, in Jesus' name. Give help, Lord, to the one who brings it and give help to your hearers. Amen. Well, brothers and sisters, there are some things that we rarely think about and some things that we regularly think about. Maybe a family vacation to the Grand Canyon is a a rare memory, but maybe supper is a regular thought. What is the resurrection for us? We have celebrated the resurrection of the Lord Jesus today. We have sung songs, or at least read songs, heard songs played about the resurrection of Christ. We've read words, the account of the resurrection, but what is it really for us? Is Easter just a nostalgic memory that we draw out once a year, or is it the focus point of our lives? What is the resurrection? Is it just a warm memory that we turn to on occasion, or is the risen Jesus someone we work to remember always? Is the resurrection of Christ something we ponder and concentrate on and pray about and work into our souls? The apostle is telling 
young Pastor Timothy here that nothing is so essential as remembering Jesus Christ raised from the dead. This is the heart of my gospel, Paul says. And he wants Timothy to rivet his attention on this reality that Christ is raised from the dead. The Apostle Paul in this second letter is writing from prison in Rome. The Apostle, as he shows later in the letter, is anticipating his own death. He is expectant that his life will be taken. He believes he has run his race. He's come to the end of it. He recognizes that Timothy must carry now the torch. And he realizes that Timothy must follow in his steps in terms of suffering and hardship. And he's been telling Timothy that in the opening chapters already that Timothy will have to identify with Paul and sufferings. Timothy will have to face his own hardships and difficulties in the ministry. And he wants Timothy to recognize that there's no way that he will be faithful. There's no way he will be able to continue on in this ministry unless he has in his mind's eye always the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. If we know anything about the Christian life tonight, then we know that the same is true for us. We may not be pastors, but we are all Christians called to live a life of difficulties. The Christian life is a difficult life. It's a life of suffering. It's a life of self-sacrifice. It's a life of hard work. And it's a life of persecution. Those who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, the apostle says. And tonight we must see that there is no way to live the Christian life without riveting our attention upon the resurrected Lord Jesus. And our lives in that sense are not to be, therefore, just a, a, a once-a-year thought about this Jesus, but there to be a perpetual resurrection celebration as we bring before our minds, as we preach to our souls, as we return to the Scriptures, as we pray about these things and speak of them to each other, that Christ is alive. He's risen. And if we do, that it will have a profound effect upon our lives. Because three central truths will sustain us. The first one being the position that Jesus holds. The second being the power that Christ exercises. And the third one being the promise that he keeps. And if those three truths are before us, then we learn that, that Christ is worthy and serving him is worthwhile. And that's really the issues of our life every day. Is the one I serve worthy? And is the service I bring to Christ, is it worthwhile? And if we see Christ risen from the dead, then we have our answer. Let's look at that. First of all, the position that the Lord Jesus holds. We know that Jesus Christ is belittled by the world. He's disparaged by most of the media and most of Hollywood. Jesus Christ is not, he doesn't rank high, does he? He's, he's not one to, to be revered. He's not one highly esteemed. And Satan wants it that way. He wants Christ to be scorned in the eyes of the world and, and if he can make it work, also in the hearts of, of God's people. But the Apostle Paul wants Timothy always to remember in the midst of sufferings, even now as Paul sits in a Roman prison facing the, the execution to come, he wants Timothy to realize that it's not the Roman emperor who is the high and the mighty one, the ruler of the world, but it is the Lord Jesus Christ who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He wants Timothy to be assured that Christ has the preeminence the first place. 
He wants Timothy to recall always that Christ has won a mighty victory and he's been highly exalted and crowned Lord over all. And he uses two phrases in verse 8 to speak of Jesus Christ. He is of the seed of David and he was raised from the dead according to my gospel. When we read in the text that that Jesus is the seed of David, we don't need to get all blurry-eyed and wonder what does this mean? It means very simply that Jesus is the promised Messiah. Remember in the Old Testament, 2 Samuel 7, God covenanted with David and he promised David that he would give David a son whom he would raise up and seat on David's throne forever. And when the angel appears to Mary, you remember, the angel tells Mary that that the one to be born to her is the son of David who will sit on the throne of David forever. The seed of David here, the son or offspring of David here means that he's the promised one who's come to fix everything. He's come to take away our sin and to remove our enemies and to restore our lives to perfect shalom or peace. He is the greatest hope in the world for anyone who knows himself to be guilty before God, for anyone who's experienced brokenness in their life, for anyone who grieves over the chaos in this world. This is the one, the Messiah sent of God the son of David, and the apostle says he has not failed in his task when he came to bring the the reign of God from heaven, the reign of grace and restoration and healing and peace with God. He didn't fail in his assignment, but he accomplished it. He has been raised from the dead, the victor, and seated over all. So Paul is telling Timothy that you must remember that Jesus Christ, whom I preach, whom you must preach, is indeed the one who's brought a new world order. He has established a kingdom that will last forever, a a kingdom of glory and grace. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. The apostle is saying that this is the essential good news. This is the place to which your mind must return over and over again. You must see in your mind's eye the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the great champion and victor, Jesus Christ, the Messiah who has come to fulfill every word of hope of the Old Testament. The the Jesus, the Christ who did not come out of nowhere and unexpected, but is the one whom God appointed from eternity, is the one God promised to David, is the one God promised back in Genesis 3.15. He has come and he has won. He's come to repair all the damage of our sin. He's come to put back together what we've broken. He's come to restore us to God's fellowship. And so, Timothy, you must know that the very reign of heaven, the reign of grace, has now broken into this world. Remember this Jesus. He is the Lord over all. And he has been crowned the everlasting king, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Brothers and sisters, we live in an irreverent age, and there's little respect for anyone in authority today. Those in highest office, even our president, are subject to 
disrespect and ridicule. And those who occupy jobs or positions that used to be considered honorable now are are often scorned. And we often have the idea that because in our country anybody can be anything, therefore no one is anything. But whatever we might say about that, one thing must be true in our lives. Jesus Christ must be sanctified. We must remember that he is not just like us. He is the glorious king. He is the Messiah. He is the one we are to stand in awe of and adore. We are to live for his glory. And and that sense of his preeminence, of his greatness, is to grip our lives day by day. Paul says to Timothy in in verse 3, You, therefore, must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. You are to have no doubt that you are in the army of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says that no one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. He wants Timothy to be gripped every day by this this great sense that I've been enlisted, that I'm, I'm subject to the Lord Jesus, that I serve this one as my captain, the very Messiah, the very King of Kings, the Lord Eternal. He wants Timothy to bear hardships. He wants Timothy to do the hard work like a farmer does. He wants Timothy to compete, not taking shortcuts, but according to the rules of an athletic competition. He wants Timothy to fight and to, as a soldier, be self-disciplined and devoted and willing to take risk and endure hardship. He wants Timothy to do all of this, remembering Jesus Christ raised from the dead, remembering the great victor. Remembering that the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ is bound up with his soldier. There's a little book by a Dutch minister, Reverend Herman Noop, who suffered in a Nazi concentration camp. His book, A Theater and Doc Cow, has a chapter entitled Doc Cow, The Grave of the Living Dead the grave of the living dead. And he, he explains there in that chapter and throughout the book the, the, what he calls the indescribable horribleness of, of, of his time in that camp. He explains what it's like to live in a place where there's no past and there's no future and there's hardly a present. All the men are, are stripped of, of all their dignity. And they've lost their, their clothes and their distinction. Who you were in your former life doesn't matter. If you say, I was a doctor, they say, what are you talking about? There's no doctors. You're, you're nothing. It's just a sea of men. Everything lost, everything gone, who have no past, their families are, are far from, from them. They have no future. No one's going to go anywhere. It's a brutal life without hope for the future. And he talks about how many men there are barely surviving starving of hunger and willing to do anything to, to, to survive for another day. And he talks about how men become so brutal when all they have is their teeth and their hands and their belly, stealing from one another, edging one man out of his working gang and into a harder one so you can take his place. He says he never heard anyone laugh during his days there. It was a place of terrible blasphemies. People screamed out ugly words and they They fought and they brawled and they murdered. But in the midst of that, Reverend Noop experienced it 
as one who recalled his Lord. And the glory of God tied to his life. And he writes these words. He writes, among thousands and thousands of living dead in their graves, I was one. I was one who as a child of God had been made a spectacle to the world and to angels and to men. A theater for the benefit of the great public that looked on to see how I would live and suffer in that grave. Would I live as a thief, a murderer, an evildoer, or as a Christian who glorifies his God by serving him exactly, also in this awful world as prophet, priest, and king in the office of believer? Of that theater situation, I was very deeply conscious And I struggled with my God in prayer that I, by all means, might remain faithful. These are profound words. He says in the midst of this camp, this horrific suffering and people clawing just to survive, he lived in the sense that he was on the stage living in this theater and that the glory of God was bound up with him. And people were looking at him as a Christian, as a minister, and wondering, how would he live? What would he do? And he pleaded with God for the grace to be faithful and to magnify his Savior. We, as the soldiers of the Lord Jesus, we wear the uniform of our Lord and of our captain. Remember who your captain is. Jesus Christ, the seed of David, raised from the dead, seated in glory. Remember. Remember. The Apostle Paul himself gives frequent recognition of this. He calls himself an apostle of Jesus Christ. He, he speaks of the fact that he's a slave of Christ. He tells of how he suffers and changes for the gospel of Christ. He, he brings to his mind, to the minds of his readers, this reality that his life is bound up with Christ Jesus. Let me ask you if in your life you have that consciousness, if you are remembering Jesus Christ raised from the dead, When doing the dishes, when changing diapers, when driving a truck, when feeding the cows, when speaking to your marriage partner, when addressing your parents, when doing your schoolwork, when going to the doctor and bearing the infirmities of old age, there's always this awareness that I I live in this theater and the glory of Christ is bound to my life, his reputation tied to me and I wear his uniform. Do we have that sense? Timothy, I want you to remember when I'm called to glory, I want you to remember Jesus Christ, the seed, the son of David raised from the dead. You may not you may not claim self-determination. You may not Comfort yourself to think that your life is your life, that you may do as you please. You may not usurp the place of the Lord Jesus. You may not get up in the morning thinking that the day is open for you to write your schedule and your agenda. You may not simply consider what comfort you can bring to yourself or how you can live to survive or to become rich. You are a soldier of the Lord Jesus reigning above. You are not your own. 
I'm not free to determine whether or not I'll serve my wife. I'm not free to decide whether or not I will honor my husband as a Christian. I'm not free to decide whether or not I will treat my mom's words with respect and honor. I'm not free to decide if I'll be patient with my children or patient in the midst of my trials. I'm not free to decide whether I want to grumble today or gossip today. I am not my own. I am bound by the word to remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. And when I remember Jesus upon his throne, then I confess I have no throne. I'm not the Lord of my life. He is the one who came and died to purchase me. He is the one raised up. He is the God-sent Messiah. And my life belongs to him. He is worthy of all respect, all honor, all esteem. He is to have in all things the preeminence. He's worthy. He is worthy. But as we see the position that Christ occupies, then notice secondly tonight, the power that he exercises. The power that he exercises. The Apostle Paul is following the Lord Jesus in a path of suffering. And he's calling Timothy to follow the Lord Jesus in a path of suffering. And Timothy might wonder, is it all worthwhile? Christ may be worthy, but, but is it all worthwhile when when the emperor and the empire of Rome are opposed, when Satan and the world are struggling against, when, when our preachings at times seem to come to nothing, is it worth anything at all? And Paul says to Timothy, remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel, for which I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even to the point of chains. But the word of God is not chained. I'm chained, but the word is not chained. Even if Paul, the apostle, dies, if he's put to death, the word of God will still continue. Paul may leave the earthly scene, but, but the commander has ready other soldiers to send in the battle. There will be progress in the kingdom. Christ will have his way upon the earth until Jesus returns. The gospel will be preached, and he will gather the elect. There'll be progress in the kingdom. And whether Paul preaches or another preaches, Paul is sure that the word of God will triumph. It will not return empty, but will accomplish the purpose for which God sent it. The word will have an effect. The word is spoken even now through the Apostle Paul at the heart of the Roman Empire as he sits in Rome. He's imprisoned by Rome, but stronger than the chains of Rome is the word of God, the word of the resurrected Lord Jesus. And some may yet come to faith through the Apostle Paul's preaching. In the midst of the Apostle Paul's courtroom appearances, some may be delivered. A bailiff, a court reporter, somebody there may hear the gospel because the word works that way. It has power. And this is our hope that the word of Christ runs through the world with power. It's our hope as a church. It's our hope as parents teaching the word to our children at home. That's our hope as we ourselves memorize the word and meditate on it. That this is an everlasting kingdom. And the power of this kingdom is in the word of the kingdom, the word of the king. The Apostle Paul, you remember, could speak of his earlier imprisonment in Rome in Philippians chapter 1. And he could acknowledge that 
that in the midst of his sufferings there, there was power, there was accomplishment. Philippians 1 verse 12, but I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Amazing stories are told of the power of the word of God. I've read of men imprisoned, spoke the word to other men by way of Morse code and tapping on the walls, or by way of sign language across the prison halls and men coming to faith. The word of God cannot be stopped. The word, we've seen it at work in the world, in our own lives, in our homes, in our hearts, a power that can't be compared to anything else. It's greater than the power of modern medicine, modern technology. It's a word that we can't control, we can't manipulate, but in the power of Christ, in the hand of the Lord, it is a powerful word. John MacArthur, in his commentary on the passage, makes a astute observation when he writes that many Christians are under the illusion that God's word has been influential in the Western world, especially in such democracies as the United States, primarily because of legal guarantees of freedom and religion. And that the fight to keep the freedom, that freedom, is therefore a fight to preserve the power of the gospel. Have you ever thought that? Have you ever felt that way? Have you assumed that that the real power of the word is that we have this democracy, we have this freedom? MacArthur writes, religious freedom is certainly commendable, And the Christians who enjoy it should be grateful for and take advantage of the opportunities it affords for worship, witness, and service. But the power of God's word has never been dependent on man's protection or subject to man's restriction. You believe that tonight? That the power of the word does not come from our constitution. It does not come from our freedoms or our courts. The power of the word resides in the Lord Jesus, risen from the dead. MacArthur gives a number of illustrations. He writes, at one time there were some 600 miles of catacombs under the city of Rome. Nearly all of them dug and used by ten generations of Christians over a period of 300 years. In the early centuries of the church, the catacombs served as meeting and burial places for perhaps as many as four million Christians. A common inscription found on the walls there is, The word of God is not bound. That was the hope of believers persecuted. The word of God is not bound. The body they may kill, God's truth abideth still, Luther taught us to sing. MacArthur mentions John Bunyan, jailed in Bedford, England, for preaching the gospel, but there writing the Pilgrim's Progress, which became, next to the Bible, the most popular book. For several centuries, second in sales only to the scriptures. The word of God was not bound. Points to China in the 1940s and 50s when the communists took over. 
There were some 700,000 Christians, and yet most of them were put to death. Now today, what? What's happened under persecution? What's happened under communist oppression? What's happened to the gospel? But the Christians have flourished. 30 million or more, maybe 100 million. The word of God is not bound. And MacArthur points to Andrew Melville, the successor of John Knox in the Scottish Reformation. He writes, on one occasion, a certain official had Andrew Melville arrested and said, there will never be quietness in this country till half a dozen of you be hanged or banished from the country. With perfect composure, Melville fearlessly replied, it is the same to me whether I rot in the air or in the ground. The earth is the Lord's. My fatherland is wherever well-doing is. I've been ready to give my life when it was not half as well-worn at the pleasure of my God. Yet God be glorified. It will not lie in your power to hang nor exile his truth. It will not lie in your power to hang or to exile the truth of God's holy word. The Apostle Paul says, I suffer even to the point of chains, but the word of God is not chained. Remember Jesus Christ, the seed of David, the king risen from the dead. His word is omnipotent. And so Paul says, therefore, therefore I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Therefore, because Christ is risen, therefore, because the word of God is not chained, therefore, I'm willing to suffer because it is worthwhile. Christ will gather his elect. Christ's word will not be stopped. Christ's word will not return to him empty and void, but will accomplish the purpose for which it's sent. And therefore, I'm willing to suffer, Paul says. I'm willing to endure hardship. I'm willing to be chained. I'm willing to be put to death. There's a power in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a power that belongs to his position, high and exalted as the resurrected one. And there's a power in that word, but there's also a power for obedient sufferings. Paul says, I'm willing to suffer, verse 9. And verse 10, I'm willing to endure. And he calls Timothy to suffer with him. He calls Timothy here to suffer with the apostle, to join with him. He urges Timothy not to treat Jesus and his victory as some ancient past, the Savior as some dead, forgotten Jesus, but he calls Timothy to live daily in the strength of the resurrected Christ. That was the first verse we read in 2 Timothy 2, verse 1. You, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. You, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. In the risen Jesus is a power to live a resurrected life. In Christ is a daily Resurrection celebration, a renewing of faith and hope and the realization that Christ is victorious. And the Lord is what we need to endure sufferings. Maybe sufferings we're unaware of at times even. To be passed over for a job promotion because 
We will not compromise in business ethics or we won't compromise in work camaraderie to engage in sinful talk. There's power in Christ to endure mockery at school or by our neighbors to be pushed aside. There's power in Christ to endure the snide comments of relatives who don't trust in the Lord. We need to know this power of the Lord Jesus as we look around at at our brothers and sisters who are being persecuted. We wonder how to pray for them or how to think about them. We at times, in feeling pity for them, feel as if it's hopeless for them. And Christ wants us to know that he is risen. It is not hopeless for his people, no matter how great the persecution. We need to know of this power as we think of the future. And young people and children, you need to know of this resurrected power of Christ Jesus. Because it's clear that in our country, things are not getting better. Though there may seem a bit of a reprieve with the current president we have, we've seen the trajectory of our nation. Unless it is brought to great repentance, it will become a place in which it is not legal to speak the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And things that are sanctions as rights are abominations in God's sight. How long can it go on that the Christian is free to speak the truth? You must know, young people, that there may be suffering for us, suffering ahead, but we must know there's power in the risen Christ to endure and to be faithful. The Apostle Paul speaks a sorrowful note in chapter 1, verse 15, when he says, This you know, that all those in Asia have turned away from me, among whom are Phagellus and Hermogenes. But there's an exception. Verse 16, the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. See, there's power in the Lord Jesus to live as one who is faithful. The Apostle Paul speaks of his Lord at the end of this letter in chapter 4, verse 16. He says, at my first defense, no one stood with me, but all forsook me, may not be charged against them. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that the message might be preached fully through me and that all the Gentiles might hear. The Lord stood with me and strengthened me. Isn't that amazing? The resurrected Lord Jesus Christ and his omnipotent power and his victorious reign. He stood with me and made me strong to preach the word, he says. Reverend Noop in the theater in Dachau goes on to write, Of that theater situation, I was very deeply conscious and I struggled with my God in prayer that I by all means might remain faithful. And he faithfully wrought his strength in me. He caused me to experience by faith in his word of promise that in that awful present, every moment could be penetrated by the light of the presence of the grace of God in Christ Jesus my Lord. By that means, I could nevertheless live also there in that death because his grace was sufficient for me. Suffering as a Christian, not ashamed of that suffering, because it was not for murder or theft or any crime, but solely for the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. And thus I could, 
even in the depth of my misery, glorify God, who is to be praised forever. Blessed be God, who magnified his grace in me. Oh, Timothy, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. What is Easter? Is it all your family traditions? Is it all your favorite songs? Is it all your warm memories? Is it all nostalgia? Or is it a living Christ whose grace is sufficient for you? Is it a living Savior who is with you? Is it power enough for your trials and for your hardships and for your health concerns and for your difficult relationships and for persecution? Remember Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. So we see the position that Christ occupies. He is worthy. We see the power that he wields. And so we know the kingdom service is worthwhile. But finally tonight, look at the promise that he keeps and be assured that there is a reward. As Timothy thinks of the the suffering that is before him, as he thinks of the Apostle Paul and all that Paul's given up, all that Paul's been through, all the All the marks in his body he bears as one who's been beaten and whipped and stoned. What's it all come to? The apostle says, remember Jesus Christ. Beaten, mocked, spit upon, crucified, risen from the dead and seated in glory. Remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead. The Lord Jesus shows to us clearly that the cross leads to the crown. The cross leads to the crown. And by his death and resurrection, he has opened to us the gates of glory and he has guaranteed for us a glorious resurrection. The apostle says in verse 11, this is a faithful saying. This is a trustworthy saying For if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. This may have been an early Christian hymn sung by the church. And here, as one commentator summarizes the matter, the Christian life is depicted as a life of dying and a life of enduring. Only if we share Christ's death on earth shall we share his life in heaven. Only if we share his sufferings, And endure shall we share his reign hereafter. For the road to life is death. The road to glory is suffering. Does that fit with our Easter celebration? Suffering. Do we realize that? That this is part and parcel. This is... This is part of the package. If you would celebrate a risen Lord Jesus, then you must take his path of suffering. But the comfort is that if you suffer for him, you will reign with him. The Lord Jesus says something wonderful in Revelation chapter 3 as he addresses his churches there. 
He says to him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. What a privilege. What intimacy, what friendship and joy that we get to reign with Christ. As one writer puts it, the eternal reward goes beyond eternal rest to eternal responsibility as Christ co-regents, teeming with him on vast new enterprises. We're going to reign with Christ over new creation. And it's a calling for each of us then to be willing now to suffer for him. And it won't do tonight to, to read these metaphors Paul lays upon Timothy of a soldier, of an athlete, of a farmer, and to say, well, you know, I'm not that. I'm, I'm not a soldier. I'm not an athlete. I'm not a farmer. It won't do for us to say, I'm not, a, I'm not a pastor. I'm not a minister. I'm not an apostle. No, Paul says to Timothy in chapter 2, verse 14, remind them of these things. Remind them that if we endure, we will reign. Remind them that that if we die with him, we'll live with him. Remind them that this is the path for every believer. We must endure hardships. We must sacrifice for our captain and for the service to which we're called. We, We must be willing to do the hard work of living for the Lord. And if we decide, I'm not, I'm not going that path, I don't want a life of suffering, I'm going to seek to save my life, I'm going to do it my way. Well, the warning in 12b, verse 12b is clear, if we deny him, he also will deny us. Jesus said, whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. And that's a somber warning, isn't it? If Reverend Noop in the concentration camp would, would, would take off the uniform, if he would take off the name Christ, if he would disavow the Lord Jesus and refuse to identify with Christ, well, that's a horrible warning. If we deny him, he will deny us. What pleasures, what momentary comforts are worth being denied by the Lord Jesus being denied before the face of the Father? What what escape from bodily suffering could be worth forfeiting eternal life? We see at the cross of the Lord Jesus how real the wrath of God is. What is it to be denied by Christ and to stand in our own naked shame and sin before the judgment seat? What would you give in exchange for your soul? But as we hear then and we tremble, as we look at brothers and sisters who who know suffering beyond anything we've imagined, and we tremble and we wonder, I'm not sure if I could do it. The little poem ends with a great comfort. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. When we stumble, temporarily unfaithful, Christ does not change, but he remains forever faithful to us. Think of Peter. You think of Peter who so unfaithfully denied that he even knew the Lord Jesus and called down oaths and curses upon himself. And yet, what did Jesus do? Jesus had prayed for Peter. Jesus upheld Peter. Jesus sought Peter. Jesus restored Peter to office. 
Jesus remained faithful. What a comfort. There is no strength in us. Tonight is not a call to to find strength in yourself. It's not a call to, to find the power within. It's a call to remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. He is your power. He is your keeper. There's great hope here for those who temporarily stumble. There's great hope here when we see ourselves wavering that he remains faithful. He remains faithful because he's the great covenant God. He remains faithful because the covenant has been sealed by the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Samuel Rutherford, a a holy man who spent years in an Aberdeen prison, spoke or wrote these words that ring so true. Often and often I have in my folly torn up my copy of God's covenant with me, but blessed be his name, he keeps it in heaven safe, and he stands by it always. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. The Lord Jesus, who's given his life for us, who's bound his name to us, who has sealed the covenant with his precious blood, who has been raised for our justification, who lives always to intercede for us, who has prayed that we might behold his glory, remains faithful. Remember Jesus Christ of the seed of David, raised from the dead according to my gospel. This is a calling to do far more than celebrate Easter once a year. This is a calling to rivet our attention day by day and moment by moment upon our King in glory. The watchword of the covenant is remember, remember, remember. And the indictment of the covenant is they forgot, they forgot, they forgot. And over and over in the Old Testament, God says to his people, remember what I did for you. Remember how I brought you out of Egypt, the memorial stones at the Jordan River. Remember how I cut off the river and brought you through. Remember, remember what I've done for you. Remember. And we need to remember and fight to remember because our sinful nature would rather remember the things we've done and our accomplishments. And we have to fight to remember because the world is no help. The world is no friend of grace. The world doesn't help us extol Christ and his accomplishments. And Satan, he is no friend of our memories either. He is always denying Jesus and belittling Jesus and sowing the seeds of heresy. Paul warns Timothy there's going to be lots of false teaching that works its way through like a cancer. But Timothy, you work to remember. You, dear Christian, in the days ahead when when Easter celebration is over, you remember. You return to the word. 
You memorize the word. You meditate upon the word. You ponder the word. You speak the word to each other. You tell the word word to your children. You pray over the word. You preach it to yourself. You meditate upon your Christ and glory. You think on the authority that's his and the power that's his and the glory that's his. You, you contemplate his way of life, suffering and then glory, cross and then crown. You remember Jesus Christ, the offspring of David, the Messiah from heaven, raised from the dead. You remember This is the way of the Christian life. This is the Apostle Paul writing from a prison facing death. This is one pastor preparing the next pastor to carry on under hardship and difficulty. This is the word. Remember. Remember the resurrected Jesus. May God... Grant us, brothers and sisters, to take most seriously the summons and to know that without this constant remembrance, we will not make it to the end. But by this word, by this living Savior, there is grace to stand strong, to persevere, to endure hardship, and to live always and forever for Jesus. He's faithful. Let's pray together. O Lord Jesus, we lift our prayers to you with the confession that we have often lost sight of your accomplishment for us, of your glory, power, and authority above. We have not seen you standing beside us because we have not listened to your word. We have not trusted in your power because we have remembered so many other things other than what you have done and who you are. We pray, Lord Jesus, that by your word and spirit that you would tonight rivet our attention upon Jesus Christ, the seed of David, risen from the dead. And we pray that you would set our attention here not simply for this evening, but for a lifetime. We pray that you grant to us as parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles to teach the little ones how to live in the light of the resurrection. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us because we are weak. May we learn to be strong in the grace of the risen Lord Jesus. And we pray that your word would not be chained, but it would go forward to accomplish your purposes. In the name of our Lord Jesus, we ask it. Amen.